Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, we'll kick off in just one sec. I just want to do a quick sound check. Okay, it looks like sound is good. Um, fantastic. All right. So thank you to everyone for taking the time to join us tonight for the next instalment of the 360 Trading Summit. Um, and uh, tonight we are very glad to be joined by Greg Tolpigeon and Nathan Germain, and Ivan and I will be doing our best to MC the session together um, so we appreciate everyone taking the time. We hope you enjoyed last week. And tonight's session will be recorded and will be up on the um, on the page off our homepage. Um, so you can get back to the session tonight if you want to go back over or if you want to see last week's. You can go through to there as well. Uh, a couple of housekeeping matters. First of all, if you've got a question during tonight's session, type it into the chat box. Uh, we'll see how we go in terms of asking questions on the on the go. Uh, if we don't get to your question straight away, we'll come back uh, to your question at the end of uh, all of the presentations. Um, and um, but, but please do ask questions and get involved as we go. Um, a little bit about uh, those who are speaking tonight, but um, Nathan uh, Germain is, uh, is a, a funds manager and a private trader, so a very active trader of his own account, uh, but also looks after a fund. Uh, very experienced trader, hedge trader, and and, and prop trader, um, and he's got a, you know a lot of other experience in the market. But predominantly, Nathan is a passionate trader, and uh, which is why we've got him today, and also a very successful one in his own right in a professional sense as well. We're also Greg Tolpigeon, uh, who's uh, 25 years in financial markets, um, has has held a, a number of different responsibilities, and I, and, I, and I might ask Greg to talk to those when he kicks off it in his. Talk. He also appears around the uh, around the place, uh, writes for the AFR from time to time, um, Wealth Creator, Share Cafe, and a range of others. We've had him on our sessions, as we've had Nathan on as well in the past, and um, delighted to have you here, Greg, as well. So um, any advice contained in tonight's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances, and you need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future returns. And we put these sessions on because if you're going to get into trading, it's really important that you understand what you're doing. And getting uh, there are a range of different ways of approaching trading, and um, both uh, uh, Ivan and I spoke last week on some of our favourite strategies and how we set those strategies up. And you'll get a different insight from Nathan and Greg Tonight, we've got others that will come and join these sessions in the, in the coming weeks to discuss how they look at the market. But people approach things in different ways. They've got different uh, styles of trading, different things that they gravitate towards and different approaches. So it's good to get a cross-section of ideas from different traders and see what people who are actually in the game and do this and do this properly are actually getting up to. And so as we, um, in over these sessions, each week we'll be giving you an update, insights into uh, the setup of trades, uh, the information that's observed to arrive at a conclusion that a trade would want to be done. We're focused on options trading, so the favourite tr option strategies that uh, that we look at, and also our trade management. And, um, we'll talk a little bit about trade management tonight, but we are running a session in a couple of weeks which we are entirely focused on psychology, tools, rules, and resources, and trade management. Um, but we'll, we'll, we, it, it's relevant at any point in time when you're looking at a trade. So, um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, a little bit about reach uh, and implied volatility. So, um, uh, Ivan, who's joined us tonight, uh, uh, built a trading platform and solution for the industry, which the majority of 
uh, brokers use as their risk management tool. And that tool went on to be developed into uh, a trading platform called Implied Volatility. And the Implied Volatility is uh, what our rich traders use um, to trade the market day in, day out. Um, and if anyone who's on the session tonight hasn't trialled that system, it's without question the leading technology for trading the market uh, if you want to trade options in Australian market. And uh, just type yes into the chat box and we'll get you set up for a trial on that platform. And that is how Ivan and I met and uh, off the back of that, Implied Volatility and Reach Trading was set up. She's, um, uh, I guess a joint venture between uh, Trade Flora, Ivan and, and Reach Markets. And we're very passionate options traders and uh, we, we run regular sessions such as tonight uh, and, a, and our weekly trade session as well. So if anyone would like to get access to that, just type yes, we'll get you set up there. If you're coming along to our, our passion and, and vision for options trading is to give people the best tools available and give them the support they need to be able to do this successfully for themselves. Um, and we see education is a very important piece uh, to the puzzle of becoming a successful trader. Uh, but technology is also critical. And uh, in this day and age, uh, the tools that you use and your access to information, your ability to process information and arrive decisions, you must be leaning on technology to do that well. Um, and uh, that's an important part of what we bring to you. So, um, uh, but, but um, you know, I guess our broader groups do a range of different things. We're happy to talk about those, those later tonight. But we've got two, two traders for you to look to, to hear from tonight. And should you wish any, any more information as they're talking, just type in info and make sure that we get you on their distribution lists um, and so you can follow them in future or if you're looking to make an investment, um, they both are, uh, run funds and so forth that um, if you meet the criteria, uh, you, you may be able to uh, get exposure to directly as well. So let us know if you want any information as we go through. Um, I'll also mention that um, for people coming into these sessions, they can quite often find what we're talking about to be advanced for them. Uh, we have a full education program that we put together on all of the basic stuff. So what's a call, what's a put, what's technical analysis, how to use the basic tools. If you want access to that, simply type in education and we'll make sure that we get you set up with the education that you need. It's all free. Uh, we'll give you free access to it all. Uh, Ivan and I built a lot of this stuff over quite a period of time. And um, we've just put it all into a package that we can give you access to. So if you want to get access to that, type in education. We'll get you set up on that. Um, and if you find that some of the things that are being discussed tonight are too advanced for you, just persevere. Take a, what I would suggest you can really get away out of the session tonight, if, if that is the case, is an understanding of what's possible and how professional traders go about it. So, Greg, uh, first cap, cap, cab off the rank. Uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And I, I'm going to um, lead into you uh, with a question, which is something that um, was was out of a conversation that you and I have had before. Um, and, it, and it was, um, what there are different types of traders. There are different uh, people that get different types of results. How would you break that down and sort of segment, you know, um, the different types of traders that are out there in the market from your perspective? Look, I think there's... There's a, well, first of all, I mean, let's, let's break it down from between traders and investors. I mean, you know, people who buy stock and stick it in their self-managed super fund, you'd probably classify those people more as investors than necessarily traders. Traders, I would say, are people who, you know, keep things long, less than sort of 12, 12 to 18 months. I'd say that they call them traders. And then within that group, I think you're going to have, you know, and it's based on experience. So obviously you have 
you know, your short-term traders who, or day traders, let's call them, who trade very, very short-term. And uh, traditionally as well, you have, um, uh, you know, that area of uh, day traders also seem to attract a lot of the inexperienced people too um, because they're looking after. So typically why people get in the market is to make money and try and make it as fast as they can and the lure of quick profits often uh, sees them, uh, you know, be attracted to sort of day trading and that uh, gambling, sort of that part of the brain that uh, attracts them to gambling in the, in the short term and those quick results. And then um, I think you get the sort of more experienced guys um, I shouldn't always say experience because you have some very, very experienced day trading and I do some day trading myself. Um, but then you have the sort of secondary sort of, uh, you know, tier of traders who I think are more sort of position traders um, who tend to look for, um, you know, broader opportunities um, that see, you know, markets that either re-rate or enter a trend or break out. So there's that sort of those, how I see it, sort of, you know, those sort of three sort of groups. And then within that, depending which product you use, um, obviously whether you're using options, you're using stock, whether you're in foreign exchange, obviously that attracts more the day traders. Um, again, so there's the universe is, can start to spread very quickly once you start to sort of, you know, peel back a few layers of, uh, of that trading onion, so to speak. Well, look, I was just going to start off by really just, Really at the basic level, and I think for some of the experienced people that might be on the uh, watching the presentation, will probably find this a little bit too obvious. But again, you know, options are there to provide us with some very key benefits, and there's some real reasons why people want to use options, and are certainly attracted to options. And one of the key ones, obviously, is to limit risk. It allows you also, with a variety of different option strategies, to be able to profit in directionless markets or profit in ways that. Uh, are not uh, uh, you know, premised on the direction of a uh, of a market heading in any one particular way. We can use options obviously as protection, and uh, certainly you can amplify your returns of short term trading with using options as well. If you get breakouts or sudden moves in a in a in a share price or any underlying instrument for that matter, um, options will obviously amplify those returns for you. But there's the last one, which is wealth creation from medium-term re-ratings and market trends, which to me is probably one of the least used aspects of options trading, is that wealth creation. And when I say wealth creation, I mean it's, you know, there's other more um, other points that we sort of just, just, just discussed and highlighted about the benefits of options tend to be attracted a lot more towards short-term trading and the benefits of that and there's plenty of strategies and I think there's lots of focus and material on that and there are certainly a lot more people who are more experienced in that particular field than I am. But where I use options and I've found that this and I'm yet to, to really discover a better way of certainly profiting from these sort of scenarios and the reason why I call it wealth creation is because you can make such a big amount of money and maximise the return that you can get out of a market move. And certainly, you know, when you have a high conviction idea, you really want to maximise that because that's the difference that makes between, you know, over your career or your trading um, lifespan is they're the ones that really sort of accelerate your uh, your ability to um, to not be making or trading for a living but more so making big bounds forward in um, 
uh, in your wealth creation. And I think, um, you know, one of the important things that I always tend to try and emphasize is that I read a quote once, I can't remember who said it, but I've listed it right down there at the bottom of the, the page, and one of the primary reasons why traders fail to make money consistently is not understanding the market environment, and that is is that too many traders try and do breakout trades when the market is range-bound. You know, when the market's in a very strong trend, they're using, you know, you know, uh, mean reverting strategies and so forth. So they're not using the most optimum strategy for the market and environment that they're in. So one of the key things is obviously using the right strategy for the right um, for, for the right environment. And this is one of those ones which is really powerful for uh, for medium term ratings and trends. And when I say medium term, I tend to say sort of you know two to three months plus, um, and anywhere up to sort of you know six to nine months um, in these types of strategies. You can click on to the next one. So the basis of this strategy is obviously to amplify a market trend. So rather than, if, you know, usually you would buy the stock or you buy some calls and, um, you know, for a short period and the stock has a little bit of a pop and you take your money and then you move on to the next idea. So what this involves is we sell an in-the-money put spread. So... For that, we're going to get some income or some, some capital. And then what we do with that is we then turn around and we can buy anywhere between three to six to eight times the number of calls um, of the put spread, the number of puts that you sold, so you buy three times as many calls at the upper limit of where that put spread was entered into. So, for example, if you sell a $5 put, $5 to four fifty put spread, you would turn around and buy three times as many calls at $5. So what this does as a trade is it defines our risk. We know how much we're going to lose because we've taken the capital from the put spread, which itself is has a defined risk. You can't, if the stock loses, drops more than $4.50, you're protected by that put that you purchased at $4.50, and obviously you sold the call at $5. You by obtaining that extra capital from selling that put spread, you then um, end up owning more calls than you normally would if you were just to go out there and buy calls as it is. So if your idea is correct and you get a decently sized market move, then you end up having more calls than you normally would. The delta of those calls obviously increases as the underlying value of that instrument rises and ultimately what ends up happening is, is for your idea you really maximize your profit um, if you were to go and buy you know and the advantage of options over uh, over you know necessarily taking a huge position in that stock is, is that if you're wrong then you know there's a profit warning etc your downside limit on on your loss is literally unlimited um, or virtually down to zero. So it's going to be a lot wider, and we all know that in trading, you know, gaps through stop losses, etc., um, you know, always tend to occur, and there are, um, you know, aspects where you can't do anything about them. So again, this is a powerful way in, in defining your risk, but also maximizes the return that you get in terms of multiples of that risk that you are taking. So one of the, obviously I've already pointed out, one of the requirements, so you know, getting back to that quote about knowing what market you're trading in, you'd need to have a high conviction idea. 
Um, and, and when I say high conviction ideas, I know most traders and most option traders are probably more technically based when they come to generating their uh, trade ideas. But, and I've been a technical analyst for you know, two decades now, um, you know, with the major investment banks and uh, spent a lot of, uh, you know, spent most of my life doing technicals. But I also marry things with fundamental supportive factors, and I don't mean doing cash flow analysis. I mean understanding sort of a market thematic. And, um, and so these are all the things that certainly go into that pot of creating a high-conviction idea. The more things that we can tick off on a, uh, a list of things that we would want to see, then these are the things that uh, can give you a high conviction idea. And obviously, we'll run through a couple of examples of that. And when I say talk about um, you know, uh, a high conviction idea, it, it needs to have a medium-term visibility, not like an outlook for the next two or three weeks, but something that we can see further down, down the track. So when it comes to technicals, medium-term visibility will mean that we, we want to be seeing you know, constructive uh, chart patterns, both not just on a daily formation, but weekly and even monthly formations. And again, those are the type of medium-term trends that can be very, very powerful. So, you know, some of those patterns could be a cup and handle formation, a normal rounding base, um, or even just a breakout from a long-term horizontal consolidation that's been, you know, 6 to 12 to even a couple of years in duration. And this... Um, Strategy is also powerful around earnings results when you've, you know, if you've got a particular um, uh, expectation around a company producing a, an exceptional profit result, then this is a strategy that certainly can uh, amplify those returns for you as well um, because obviously we know that around earnings results, you know, markets can move quite rapidly. So this is one here um, that I put on back on, uh, was it, the 25th of August, and it was in Boral. Now, that was uh, roughly maybe about a week before the profit result, and I had the expectation that um, we'd already been through a bit through earnings season, number one, um, and a lot of companies were producing results and particularly commentary that was more positive about how they were positioned for the economy reopening. And one of the big thematics, around Boral is its infrastructure exposure. And what COVID has really done has really accelerated the government's need to create some sort of fiscal stimulus. And aside from throwing you know, checks out of helicopters, um, really the other areas are for it to do specific works, projects. And traditionally, the, the main emphasis behind that is typically infrastructure projects. So Boral is exposed to that, and I think everything, not just the US, but also nearly every OECD, OECD government has the same idea. So it has that huge exposure, not, uh, both to infrastructure in Australia, but also, importantly, in the US. And it's also one of those uh, thematics as well, that irrespective of who's in the White House, it's, uh, it's a stock, or oh, infrastructure is going to be something that's going to benefit. Whether you're spending a trillion dollars or two trillion dollars, it's still a lot of money. So Boral was one that had been sitting here, as you can see, um, having this consolidation throughout June, July, and August. That was, was sort of range-bound, but given the underlying thematics, given the lead that obviously the S&P 500 and other markets had, had uh, enjoyed, 
there was significant scope that this thing could get re-rated higher. And traditionally, we've seen off the March low to the first sort of uh, resistance line that you can see there in black. And then if we mirrored and took that move, it was very similar from the subsequent low to the new range that had been set, at, set up. And if we did that move again, another move higher, we would go somewhere up towards sort of $5.20. So with this strategy, what I did was the share price at the time was roughly around that three seventy mark. So I sold a $4.10 uh, call, as you can see, that's the first line, and I bought a $3.60 put. So for that, I got roughly $0.25 cents for that. I then added in a little bit of extra money because I had, this was a high conviction idea, and I went and bought 4,000 calls at $4.10. Now, irrespective of whether you're buying 400 calls, 400 calls, 4,000 calls, or 40,000 calls, let's look at the return versus the cost in, in this aspect. So the, the options were the calls were trading at 14 cents and we bought four lots of those. So traditionally with the same amount of money, you'd probably buy half or maybe a third of the number of calls um, in this trade. But this time around, we've got now using this strategy four times the number of calls. So what's happened is, as, uh, as we've seen, we've had a breakout in Boral. Now, I didn't get the the immediate return that was expected in terms of um, uh, something spectacular out of its profit result. But nonetheless, the underlying thematics still play true and we've seen that uh, obviously um, Boral is you know, around that $5 mark. And so what does the trade look like now? Well, that put spread is now worthless because we're well north of $4.10. The $3.60 put is worthless as well. And the $4.10 calls are now worth roughly $0.90. Cents. And as you can see, something that cost 30 grand to enter is now worth roughly 350 grand. So it's a significant profit. Um, and, uh, you know, we had the profit, um, sorry, the, the loss defined initially, obviously, with that put spread and how much money we added extra to buy some extra calls. And with that, um, you know, that's a November expiry, so I've still got another four or so weeks before expiry, four to five weeks. I went to November because obviously the US election, and um, you now have still free upside continuing um, in that stock. So if the stock, if we've got a takeover bid for Boral tomorrow, I'm long four times more calls than you ordinarily maybe would, would be. Um, we, I, on the screen here, um, we put this into our back tester today and um, yep. there was a couple of questions for some of our traders around deltas and so forth. So that answers should be there to those questions, Paul. Um, but uh, oh, he's saying, what, what, what delta are you selecting to strike? Is that a fair reflection here, I guess? Look, the delta is always going to be roughly where oh, it's going to be reflective of how powerful and how quickly I think the move can be, um, and certainly it's going to be you know surrounding around what kind of industry and stock and the volatility that that stock has. Initially, it's probably going to be around that um, you know point three five point four because you want it enough out of the money that you're not paying excessively for time or, you know, excessively priced um, calls. Don't forget we want to get a whole bunch of these calls. But the, at the same time, we don't want it to be too low that 
when the stock does start moving in our direction, we're getting no benefit for it um, in terms of no movement in those calls. So usually I, I somewhere around that, you know, no less than, you know, 0.3 um, uh, in my delta is, is, is the, the downside limit to what I'd be looking for and probably no more than a half. Right. I'm going to ask this um, uh, because I know that this might be going over some people's heads, but if you go into, if you're using our platform and for anyone that just wants to play around uh, and practice trade, uh, we'll put 50,000 fictitious dollars into your account and you can test trade. Um, and this is the same tech the ASX used for their options game, which I'll open shortly, so any game players can get onto that as well. Um, but this trade, if you tick, you can go in and set the trade up, and which we did back on the 25th of August, and you can you know see for yourself what occurs um, when you get these strong moves on a position like this, and you can see once we broke through that level um, of uh, four dollars thirty, it really started to aggressively get a wiggle off. So what you, what you had there was you had that initial sort of uh, confirmation that the trade would probably be heading in the right direction when it first started to surpass that trading range that it was stuck in, which was at that $4 mark. But as you yep. can see, as the share price starts to accelerate northward, your profit gets amplified because not only do you have 4,000 calls or four times the number of calls um, as a position, but also that delta is starting to rapidly increase. And as you can see, that delta now has gone from 0.3 to 0.9. So, you know, it's literally you're, you're long 400,000 um, borrow shares. And now what you can do with this trade, just to sort of highlight, was is, you know, borrow could come out with some sort of warning. We don't know anything can, can sort of happen. So you can start to close out parts of the trade. You can start to reduce the number of calls that you have and lock some of those profits in and let the rest of it run if you wanted to. So, again, this is the time now where you start to look to, you know, um, protect that position a little bit because you don't need to always ride these these trends and these moves all the way into expiry. We can start to close some of these out and protect some of that, uh, that those, and, you know, this is the key thing, they're still paper profits. <laughs> they're not real profits. They haven't banked them yet. So... Again, it's important that um, as well for everybody, I think, to uh, to be aware that the profits are always paper until you bank them. So it's very important to do that. Yeah. And so is this a trade you're still in? It's a trade that I'm still in, yes. Yeah. Um, Paul had asked, um, and I'll just ask for a very short answer to this one, would you go a shorter uh, expiry if you had a, if you're anticipating a faster move on with this strategy? Yes, you can. Yes, you can do that for sure. And w when we say a shorter term move around, um, you know, earnings, you could do that. I mean, I know that uh, that uh, uh, options are always going to have a little bit more uh, volatility uh, in them for price moves. But as um, but if you've got a particularly strong conviction around um, the move happening faster than, you know, we've had a relatively fast move already. But in these sort of market conditions where we are seeing a lot of stocks still recovering, there's still question marks, you know, or beneficiaries if the economy continues to reopen, these are sort of thematics where this strategy does particularly work um, quite effectively. All right, beautiful. All right, so we, we put that in there. We've already gone through that. So uh, Qantas. So Qantas, yeah. So look, I mean, 
um, after the success of the Boral one, and, I, you know, and I've used this, this strategy in the past, the next thing was, you know, starting to look at, you know, the Qantas share price was starting to break up through some resistance levels. And remember October 31st, there's a several uh, phase three trials that are being completed. So any good news ahead of that would obviously be a huge beneficiary to some of the, you know, economy sent, economy opening sensitive stocks, um, if that's even a category um, that you can sort of, you know, official terms, but when we've seen in the past, you know, and again, precedence is always important in, in terms of picking trade strategies, and we saw, you know, in May there, you can see sort of that uh, that's sort of huge run that it made through the first sort of, you know, resistance line that I've got in black highlighted there, and again, we've had this sort of, you know, there was a rapid move, so there's some precedence that with any sort of good news that you could get um, a rapid move in, in Qantas, and uh, I put this similar sort of idea around that. Now, I put this trade on on the 8th of September. Now, 8th of September was the worst day to put this trade on. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, we're not all immune to and do the perfect timing with everything. And uh, probably is a good example of putting on a trade where it's not at the right perfect time, like something like Boral was. This one hasn't been as perfect in timing. So, again, if you weren't as trigger happy as I was, you probably would have, could have entered this trade at a better time. Now, 8th of September was the very first day it broke through that secondary black resistance line that I've got highlighted there. So I ended up paying a lot more for this trade than I should have. But nonetheless, the same same sort of concept. I've sold a $4.40 put. That's obviously in the money. And I've received 50 cents for that. I want to protect that put position. So I bought a $3.90 put for 23 cents. I've earned 27 cents in that. I've added a little bit of extra money and I've bought three um, three times the number of calls at $4.40 um, for $13.50. And um, initially straight after that time that I put that trade on, um, I think I might have been in profit for about seven minutes. And then, you know, uh, you know the character testing began as the trade went against me. But because it is a... Like I said, a thematic trade, it's a trade that is based not about immediate uh, news or immediate direction. And again, we always sit there and say when we put trades on, oh, I'm happy to risk this. But it's not until you actually start risking it that you whether you really were prepared to risk it. Um, I know many times before I've thought to myself, you know, I'm happy to have a stop loss there. And then you realize how much you actually will be down and what it feels like. And, you know, it becomes a, a very different story. So... Nonetheless, Rick, just a quick question. Um, Brad asked, uh, how do you judge the difference in position size against Boral and Qantas? Look, generally in some of these ones, I have a specific just dollar figure that I'm prepared to, um, to, to lose. So, for example, you know, it's going to be different for different people. Um, so it, it's just a matter of, of what you're comfortable with for, for that trade. So the higher the conviction the more aggressive I'm obviously going to be. And unfortunately, there is no way I have yet come across in 25 years that you can be more aggressive and risk less. <laughs> it's just not impossible. So sometimes when you want to be risk more you or you want to be more aggressive, you're going to have to risk a little bit more. So you have to take into account, obviously, how high your own personal conviction is. So my conviction on Boral was significantly higher than Qantas because, you know, We've got state borders. Australia's 
um, uh, have been closed, Australia's appetite or um, sensitivity to COVID is so much higher than it is of many other countries around the world. So there's always that risk of extended delay and obviously with options, you're, you know, the biggest, you know, headwind for any options is uh, is time decay. So, again, we're nowhere near as aggressive on this one as I was on Boral, but still enough that it makes a, a difference if it uh, if it pays off. And we get a move even just back up towards sort of, you know, that $5 mark or $6, you're going to get um, a, 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 a great tailwind of, um, uh, of results accordingly. So... Um, the trade sort of took a little while to get going, but has so far started to move in the right direction. Um, these prices, I think, are a few days old, but it's roughly still sitting, I think, at the, the same sort of profit value. So it is heading in the right direction. Um, and again, still waiting for good news. Notice that um, the expiry on this one is December. The previous one was November. So I did put this trade on a month after the Boral one. And uh, this time I've gone uh, to December. For them, you know, to provide that. The next one after that, um, have we got the next slide? What was so yeah? So that's uh, the profit curve so far. So you can see, uh, you go back right one one. You're right. Um, if we go back one, you'll probably see that um, you know at one point the worst um, position on this one was down thirty three grand. Um, on that trade, and again, like I said, you could have done ten times less, and you would have been down, th you know, three grand. It's just a matter of what, uh, what what position you want. This is a position I put in um, in the fund, and uh, again, um, we're continuing to, to see it uh, so far in the right head, right head in the right direction. But you can see sort of the impact that it has had on the P and L initially by entering the trade at the I say the wrong time now because of hindsight, but at the right at that time um, it was breaking out. It was looking great. I had to get in. <laughs> Greg, can I ask? Um, will you close out of this if it hits a certain price, uh, or is it a time exit, or what, how, how do you look? Because like look, like any trade, you need to have. The, the, the key reasons for getting into the trade. And then as time passes, traditionally what many amateur traders will do is they'll start to make up excuses for why they want to stay in a trade if those elements do not start to eventuate. And I mean, I've been susceptible to it many times and I've got a few things in my bottom drawer that I wish I'd gotten rid of when it, you know, when it first yeah, it wasn't performing according to my initial expectations. So the reasons for getting into a trade, and particularly this one, was obviously vaccine news. So that's our post-October 31st um, sort of timeline. Um, number two is, as the share price has now broken out and been heading in the right direction, if it was to come back under $4, I would probably start to think about maybe trimming or exiting or adjusting that trade in some way. Yes, I would. Um, so, yes, when trades don't go against you or are not performing according to the expectations that you have, um, it's time to reassess. That's probably the best thing that I can say. And, of course, I, uh, I always constantly reassess all positions, irrespective of what they are. But, again, um, you know, that's because I had specific sort of timelines for, for contests. 
And as we get into Christmas as well, I think that uh, I, like many people, are probably can't wait to get on a plane and go somewhere different and see something different. Um, and I think that will probably be an element of expectation that um, that we'll see a lot of people wanting to um, to, to, to travel and uh, at least even within Australia. And look, one of the other key things that I, I, I've got in my notes but I've, I hadn't mentioned to this point was is that when I went and did some work on Qantas in terms of finding a stock that's uh, open to or sensitive to the economy reopening, Qantas, 70, in the last 10 years, 70% of its profits have come from domestic routes and its loyalty program. So the international border isn't as significant to it. Then I read another research report that showed that if international travel remained at 10% of its normal um, um, traffic numbers, the domestic market only returned to 60 to 70%, Qantas would still bank a $440 million profit. So of any airline in the world, I probably want to own this. Um, so, again, it's not like the U.S. airlines that are requiring, you know, another $25 billion in bailout money. It's it's a very different sort of uh, kettle of fish. So the downside risk is also, uh, I think, somewhat limited just because of its um, robustness as a uh, as a business model. It's interesting that payoff as well. As well. You were almost at, you know, you, you couldn't have lost a hell of a lot more and, the way that that recovers out on the move up is, uh, you know, significant, isn't it? Um, so it shows the the the, uh, the grunt of the trade. All right. Um, so this is a new trade, is this correct? IAG. We're looking at something. Yeah. Else? Look. Correct. Yeah. This is IAG was a new trade. I only put it on just the other day. It's a trade that I'm building into. It's not as a. I wouldn't call it as a high conviction or a significant news event or a thematic in the same way that um, Qantas and certainly Boral are positioned. But a couple of things that I, I was looking at with IAG was, um, number one is when I looked at the monthly charts and the technicals, I noticed that the last big, huge fall that uh, IAG had, it was about $4.40 in, um, in, in, in price. And from the most recent high back there uh, in 2019, we'd fallen about $4.40. And the majority of the fall in, in IAG and many of the other insurance stocks has been around the basis of um, how much they're going to have to pay, pay in business uh, disruption insurance. And the market is currently poised of expecting somewhere, or IAG share price is currently pricing in about $2 billion capital hit um, for um, uh, in business insurance um, uh, payouts. Now, obviously, they've probably uh, reinsured a lot of that, so the actual net um, effect on their on their balance sheet is probably going to be obviously significantly smaller than that. But even if it came out at two billion, I was reading a lot of reports or uh, research that again that IG could certainly handle that without much difficulty. So, is it a case that this is a very depressed share price that? you know, has the worst-case scenario priced into it. And then from there, the market begins to discount that bad news as things are not as bad as expected. So from a technical perspective, I looked, as you can see, the bottom two indicators down there. You can see I've got two little black lines. Now, most of you will quickly 
Um, notice that that's positive divergence, but for those that may not be aware, positive divergence is where the share price makes a new low, but your indicators don't, so they're making a higher low. And effectively, what that generally does mean is that the strength or the, the power of the move to the downside is nowhere near as strong as it has been in the past. So that selling pressure is slowly weakening. And when you get those type of situations, you don't, you don't need much buying interest to start to lift the share price quite aggressively. So on Monday, I actually started buying a little bit of IAG stock. And as the share price continued to move a little bit in the right direction and, you know, on, on daily formations, started to look a little bit more positive, other insurance stocks are moving. I just thought that um, it might be time to, uh, to, to look at uh, applying this same trade once again. Because it's not as high, as high conviction, it's one that I'll probably build over a little bit of time because I am doing one of the things that I don't generally like to do, which is pick a low. Um, you know, and pick a bottom. So, but there is enough evidence here to suggest that it's worth, you know, taking a, 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 a small a small stab at it. And it is one of those ones where, again, in this sort of environment, and I think we'll run through probably the payoff curve. You'll be able to see that it's not going to take much to actually make this trade reasonably um, uh, reasonably low risk and and quick to uh, to see a return. So. Sorry, if you flick back, um, Patrick, just to that previous slide, you can see here that um, that low was there on the Friday, and so all the updates since then has been since um, since Monday. But you can see I've got this trend line drawn in on the RSI, so you can see that there's been a fresh new breakout. So although you haven't broken a similar trend line on the price chart, the RSI breakout is really reflecting the fact that um, there is some sort of trend change that's emerged. Now, is this going to be a medium-term trend change that um, that you, this strategy typically looks for? It, it's still unknown, to be honest. It's still unknown. But that's the reason why I am entered, uh, I believe, February is my, um, my um, uh, uh, option strategy on this one. I did uh, a February position as well. So you can see here the payoff um, diagram, and you can see that... Um, you know, all those ones there show that at four dollars seventy nine, you know, the different times of where that uh, uh, will still be getting close to break even. So again, it's not that far from the dates. It, it doesn't take that much time in terms of a rebound for uh, to get that to uh, to be in break even and even in a uh, in a in a profit. And five dollars twenty seven, which is the ultimate. Um, uh, break-even point, um, it's still not a significantly north of where the share price was uh, is at. So it's one of those um, trades that's more about timing than necessarily about um, um, other things. And then, of course, as it continues to, uh, um, to move in my favour and there's more evidence that the idea is, is playing out, I will uh, add to the position. And, in fact, I tried to add to the position today. So... The position cost three and a half cents, so three and a half cents is reflective of selling the put, um, the in the money put spread and buying the call. So the net cost of all of that was three and a half cents. That was when I put the trade on. Today I tried to pay twelve cents for that exact same trade, and I didn't get pinned. So you can see how quickly, just with that uh, three or four day move, how quickly it's moved. Um, 
in uh, you know move northwards. And then, oh, okay, that's that's my last slide. So, look, it's before just we get to the nation, there are there are a few questions, but I, I I'll, I'll come back to those questions. I think we'll go through um, uh, the others. Was there did you there something you wanted to add? Sorry, Greg, I, did I cut you off there? Oh. No, I was just going to sit there and say, look, there's other trades that, you know, and other stocks that I haven't thrown in there that sort of start to feed some of those similar thematics, like things like Sydney Airport, um, yeah. you know, you know, the economy reopening up to a degree what, to what, which some of the property, might, property might, stocks might benefit. Might, I'm going to ask you that question uh, when we get through uh, and we get to Q&A yeah. at the end of this. Um, I'm going to yeah. ask you that question because I'm keen to know. I'm sure everyone else is as well. Um, then Nathan, um, thank, thank, thank you, and um, we'll, we'll now bring, bring Nathan on, who's uh, the founder of Equity Funds. He's a hedge fund manager, prop trader, 18 years plus experience. Um, Ivan and I know because he trades one of his accounts with us, so we, we have an eyeball on what he does. Very successful trader, very good. We listen to uh, anything he says. Well, he trade the other day, but I didn't get filled. Um, Unfortunately, so uh, yeah. Look, um, Nathan, I hand over to yourself. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, today, I just want to do um, run through uh, a few different strategies. Um, neither which I'd be executing now, but they're just sort of samples of some favourite trades of mine. Um, and then also, in conjunction with that, I wanted to just touch on a few sort of a one technique that you, you can use is a really simple technique where rather than by doing a whole lot of research yourself, you're sort of analysing research of others and um, using that as points of uh, or evidence for, for conviction into entering trades. Um, so, yeah, as Greg was saying before, there's, uh, you know, picking the right trade for the, the right climate is uh, is crucial. And so the, um, the iron condor, which I've got here now I, on XJI, I wouldn't be doing right now, <laughs> but I will take you through it. Um, so, yeah, on screen you can, I think most of you understand the uh, concepts of an iron condor. Basically, there's a few different, two different ways to do it. Um, what I'm talking about here is basically using out-of-the-money spread, so a put spread and a, um, and a call spread, both out-of-the-money. Uh, can I click to the next slide? Yeah, so... Basically, uh, for I think um, just to give you guys a bit of background as to how I'm monitoring sort of market direction and, and, and breakouts and so forth, I'm using a combination of uh, analysing trade trade data and also um, trading pricing activity. So I look at uh, a lot of things that um, uh, basically price movements, what market makers are doing, pricing skews in options, also volumes of different uh, stocks and, and trading days just to see, uh, you know, obviously it's easy to look at a, a, a day where the ASX has gone up 3%, but if it's gone up on you know, minimal volume and so forth, then it's, you know, it's, yeah, it doesn't really count. So being able to sort of decipher through that using um, uh, using data is, is critical. One of the things that, that I think is, is, is often overlooked is, is the use of open interest in options. And this can give you a good insight into, obviously, you know, who, who's in at what level. And I'm just using an XJO example here where in, you know, if we were to look at a, an iron condor, um, we, you know, would be looking at puts and calls. 
And just to, uh, I've outlined there the current, uh, this is on November expiry, I think 19th of November. So looking at the open interest there. So you can see based on that in the, uh, in the puts where a lot of people are positioned, a lot of this will come back down to you'll have, you know, chart guys, you'll, there's speculators, um, people hedging and so forth. But it generally is a good indication as to, um, uh, you know, obviously where people are at and what they're thinking. Um, then on the call side, same kind of thing. Uh, you can see the there's certain key levels there that, that people seem to hone in on. A lot of them are psychological levels. Uh, some of them, uh, obviously, it also factors in market makers as well because that will play a big part as to um, if you are holding to expiry because on any expiry days you will see big fluctuations in um, uh, in the markets depending if it's a major expiry and who's got open interest where and, you know, what's at stake for those people at that time. So basically, um, yeah, if we go to the next slide, I think, here we go. So as I said before, I wouldn't be entering this trade now because of the, the current climate. I, I uh, based on today's session, the last few week and a half sessions, I, uh, I don't think we're trading sideways. Um, so iron condor is probably not the ideal trade for now, but assuming we were, this is a sort of trade that you could set up um, using that open interest to, to gauge out where your appropriate short legs would be at 5,750 and 6,600. And the idea here is obviously you want with this kind of trade the, the market to remain within the bounds of the, your trading range, which is that 5,750 to 6,600. So um, generally it's uh, the other thing I'll, I'll just you should take note on the screen and see uh, if you see the difference between your, your put spreads and your call spreads in this, you'll see that of the $18 um, combo price that you're receiving for this a premium, that um, uh, that about $10 of that $18 is in your put spread and about $8 of that is in your call spread. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a, a, a particular ratio to follow, but it does play a part in the in the uh, risk management strategy that I've touched on in the next slide. Could you excuse me one sec? I'll just be 10 seconds. Hold on. No problem. Uh, for, for those of you that are wondering what on earth probably just happened, I'm going to hazard to say that Nathan had a had a baby um, a couple of weeks ago. Was I, was it all right? Yeah, I had, sorry, the baby monitor uh, was, was in, in the office and, and the dog was making noise setting it off. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patrick was... Calling me last night, and he um, he heard my dog barking, and he can make a lot of noise. So, yeah, yeah. we don't. <laughs> big dog. Yeah. He is. So going back to the makes a lot of noise. What's that? I've got a, I've got a small dachshund that makes a lot of uh, oh, okay. noise. Bloody loud dogs. But anyway, so yeah. keep going. Um, so anyway, so as I was saying on the other the other combo, uh, sorry, the other slide. It was got an eighteen dollar combo here. The in your put spreads, you've you've got about ten dollars worth of that. $8 in your, in your call spread, 37 days to expiry. You would have noticed in the, if you look at the, the statistics on, you know, the $18 versus the margin that you were required to hold and the total of risk, look, it's a, obviously it's quite an attractive trade in terms of return. But as I said, in the current climate, I wouldn't be looking at this because of the fact that we are looking at a uh, potential for a lot of upside movement. And yeah, anyway, for that reason, I wouldn't touch it. But you can see here that, 
the, the theory remains the same. You've got your puts at uh, 7.25% out of the money. Your calls are 6.45% away. So you've got to basically, if you think of it like a, a 13 bit percent trading range that the market can sit between in order for you to, to hold on to the $18 premium. Uh, it's important, I suppose, that you, you read a lot of literature about people entering trades, but I wanted to touch on uh, managing and uh, stop loss and, and in this type of trade, it, generally looking at something along the lines of what I've got here, where if you are receiving $18 in premium, you uh, it's a really simple way to, to look at it is if you've got one to two times premium as a stop point. So by that I mean that if the market's going upwards and your call uh, call spread all of a sudden becomes worth $18, at that point you might consider buying that back, closing that position. Uh, then at that point you, you, you're at break even. Um, and then you you the only thing obviously you hope that the market doesn't shoot back down to your 57.50. It does happen from time to time in iron condors. But and the other thing to, work, to bear in mind is that the to set a stop loss of eighteen dollars for a combo like this is um, uh, is uh, well, it's naive to think that you, you you're going to get that sort of filled at that point because um, generally the the time you want to close it out the market's moving quite fast uh, particularly on the downside if the market shot down what you'd probably find is the the put spread would end up being worth uh, quite significant amount, maybe $30, $36 um, at the time that you want to shut that down. So as I said, I just wanted to touch on that because it's not a lot of people talk about uh, with options, particularly when you're you're short, having a strategy to, to manage that risk. And the Iron Condor offers you that because it does give you that, that extra bit of premium to play with. So you've got that, um, you know, even if you feel that the market is going to be slightly moving upward and you applied a trade like this, it would give you that $10 per combo extra sort of buffer to, um, you know, to, to sit on your seat and watch the market <laughs> slowly creep upwards and hope that it didn't reach that point. So as I said, it's the, the um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to set those uh, stop losses in place, but it's another thing to, to act on. I think Greg touched on it before, but, you know, we all like to think that, uh, um, you know, we've got the nerve for a certain risk tolerance. Until we do, <laughs> we have to we have to live and experience it. So, it's it's definitely vital to uh, you know to to be um, uh, to follow through on those stop losses because you will um, you can definitely feel the fire if you uh, if you don't. So the other the other trade I just wanted to touch on uh, was a speculative trade. Now this, Nathan, can I? Sorry to interrupt, and um, I, I jumped down to this next one thinking that you were just ready to move on there a second ago. But I guess with that iron condor that you've set up there, uh, it's quite a wide range. In, in in many ways, you're doing the exact opposite of the trade that Greg recommended before. Where you're not having an opinion, a high conviction that a significant move uh, is going to occur. You're having a view that you expect the stock or the market to sort of gravitate within quite a fairly wide range but not really do anything in particular. Is that right? Yeah, it's probably because a lot of uh, a lot of what I do is is 
basically calculation of training ranges and the probability of, of, of you know, remaining in certain ranges and, and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly one, a, the type of trade that I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, but uh, not to say that it works always, but that's probably more so. Uh, when you're dealing with the index, obviously, the composition of the index um, is, you know, can be completely different from, you know, we're at 60, 62 or 100 now. And, you know, the last time we were at 6,200, the composition of the index was completely different. So it, it really just under, uh, comes down to having an understanding of, of, um, of trading ranges, I suppose. But, yeah, as you said, the, the beauty of that trade is that with an iron condor is that you, you're, you're relying on the, um, the market not reaching extremities rather than having a specific view on whether it's necessarily going to go up or down. And, and as you saw on that, you know, there's a 13% trading range, but given the current climate we're in with, particularly with the US election coming up, that's not necessarily a, um, <laughs> a, 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 large, uh, a large range. In fact, I'd probably, if I, you know, someone twisted my arm and forced me to make that trade, I'd, I'd probably be um, shifting the, uh, the call side a bit higher than that because I don't think, I think we could pe- possibly get a run leading into... Um, November. Yeah, beautiful. So this, yeah, the next trade I, I just set up as a, just an example, and it's a, a bit of an idea as to what, um, yeah, people can look at sort of if they are trading day in, day out, and they're sitting, spending a lot of time sitting in front of their screen, it's it's always a good one to um, uh, to, to have at hand, depending if volatility comes and it can come and go in, you know, the space of five, ten minutes. We saw that last week, whenever it was, when Trump was announced that he was tested positive. It was, you know, sort of a matter of minutes before the US futures just went haywire and, um, you know, and our market reacted instantaneously as well. So you don't really have a lot of time to, to move. It's not the sort of thing where... Um, you know, you could pick up a phone and sort of go think about, oh, I'm going to go and do this and that. So this is a sort of order that I sort of had, I have uh, at hand in the event that we experience something similar to that moving into the November election. I actually had one that I put on, I believe, during the, um, as I said, when Trump tested positive, similar to this, but probably a bit, I think it was a bit lower. So once again, just using the open interest in, in the options. And I I know I'm uh, sort of talking about it now, but I don't generally sort of do this every single trade and so on and so forth. But I think, as I said, I think it's an interesting thing because you're utilising and piggybacking off the, the work that other people may have done and views that they may have taken um, and has subsequently entered options positions. So, yeah, looking at those different levels, you can see 5,500 is the, the most heavily populated so obviously, uh, it's quite a crucial level. So what we're looking for is a trading range. And if there was some kind of, um, you know, unforeseen news that popped up around the US election that, you know, yeah, we're going to reach a certain point as we go down, but, you know, at what point will the buyers come back in? And that's what we're trying to establish is sort of lower bound range and then just go maybe a bit beyond that, which is what, if you look at that 54.25 level where we've got 3.6 thousand, uh, options open interest. So we go to the next slide. 
Uh, Graham wants to know where you get your open interest information from. Uh, another broker. <laughs> I will you... remain nameless. <laughs> remain nameless. Good. <laughs> you can actually see the open interest through the implied volatility platform by going into the options chain, but you know that's okay. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, there you go. I should have pulled up the. Uh, and, 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 and actually, I probably hazard to say, Nathan, that it's more accurate in the implied volatility platform than the other broker that starts with I that you use. Um, I'll show. I'll open it up when we get through. Sorry, I thought I was setting myself up for a free promo there. Anyway. Keep going, Nathan. <laughs> One of our biggest users so, yeah, the platform so doesn't even know where to find the options open and interest. Thanks, mate. <laughs> there you go. You'll learn something new every day. That's why I'm here. Um, so what we've got is a really basic full put spread and out-of-the-money um, put spread. And this is, once again, as I said, this is just priced up based on, on uh, this afternoon, just current market, we're at 6200 So we're not talking about a, a, a whole lot of premium, $4.90, um, you'd be lucky to get probably $3 if you actually executed that order. But what we're looking at is, as I said, short bursts of, of volatility. Um, and if we did have something that sort of popped up, and it may be around the election, similar to when Trump first got in with Clinton, where the I think during mid-session we were down about 3.5% on that day. And so you're looking for those kind of swings where people are running for the doors, they're not, you know, it could be a 2% down, it could be 3% down, it could be 4% down day, we don't know. And that's where you've got to, you know, you look at something like this, it's price of $4.90 now, it's probably going to be, uh, you know, 200 bit times that, and I should have got you to, <laughs> Patrick, plug this into the, uh, and adjust the, the, the volatility to, to check that pricing. But, yeah, it could be, this spread could be, um, you know, a $12, $13 spread, given the right amount of volatility that, that we could experience during one of those incidents. And so that's really what you're looking for. You, you don't get a lot of time to, to make these trades. So as I said, these are the sort of um, trades that I just have on hand um, just in case, you know, you do get that surge in in, um, uh, in volatility. And generally uh, I'm watching the futures market and looking at the order book. You, I'm looking at things like the cumulative size of, of orders across the whole book, and from that you can get a pretty good indication as to um, how quickly the the uh, futures price and then subsequently the market's going to move as a result of that, just based on the uh, cumulative size stack um, in bid or asks. Uh, so anyway, so as I said, so this is what I'd price up now, but uh, I wouldn't be executing this unless something came along, um, and I'd probably... Uh, I think I had, yeah, obviously November expiry in, in there, but you could also look just on a on a weekly expiry with XJO to sort of take advantage of that. If the news is, um, uh, you know, obviously um, ridiculously off the charts, then <laughs> like when coronavirus first first came, then you, you, you also have to be pretty careful with these types of trades. So you need to make a split decision based on, you know, what you're seeing as to, you know, will this be a uh, speed bump? Uh, will this be, you know, people buying the dip or is this so far off the charts that it's, um, you know, it, we're looking at six or nine months sort of um, going, you know, in a downward trajectory in a bear market. So, yeah, anyway, those were the, uh, yeah, the two trades. As I said, pretty simple. 
pretty simple yeah. ones, but go-to trades where you can sort of, depending on the right conditions, um, enter them. And they're quite fairly easy to understand. The Quite often where these trades, um, it's good to, in this example, I think the last one as well, I had just using XJO, 100-point um, spread. And the, you know, when you, when you understand that the, the spreads, you can recognize the, the pricing um, uh, a bit more, a bit easier because it's, it's sort of basic arithmetic. So if you are the sort of person that's going to be trading quite frequently, um, it's really important to be able to, you know, at a glance sort of look at the, the, any combo premium prices and, um, you know, quickly be able to process that and understand, like, what that means for you. Beautiful. Thanks, Nathan. Um, a couple of questions. How do you decide how wide to make the spread? So for, for me, and if I'm looking solely at XJO, it's, it's coming down to uh, trade range. So at any given time, I've got basically uh, – uh, a few ranges um, on downside and upside that I've worked out based on um, historical market data and probability. Um, so, yeah, and based on the, the current climate as well. So generally um, that will come into play and then also the, the current market trend, whether and the, obviously along with the direction of the trend, the, the ferocity or speed of that um that acceleration. Yep. And you can you can quite often uh, as a as a sort of a, a bit of a cheat, you can also look at um, pricing skews, which are in the options market. They can normally give you a pretty good indication as to what, as I mentioned before, same with the open option interest. It, it gives you an indication as to what other um, parties are thinking and what they're seeing as well. So I know back in when we did one of the seminars earlier on in the year, there was an interesting phenomenon in XJO where the pricing skew was actually favoured to calls, um, which is not a common thing. And I, I, I've uh, sort of never seen that uh, seen that before. So yeah, it's, things like that can 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 uh, give you different indicators. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and do you often, um, you know, if we when you're when you're trading, Nathan, you, you know, looking for, you know, instead of seeing an iron condor up, will you set in a bull put and then add a bear call later on, or do you generally go one way or the other? Um, occasionally, but um, I've found that to be tricky because it all comes down to timing. Yep. So timing, as, as Greg mentioned before, with, with um, I think it was this Qantas trade, um, the, the timing is really hard to pick. And it's when you get it right, and occasionally you get it right, you're sort of high-fiving yourself thinking, you know, how good am I? But the majority of times I, I find entering iron condors, it's, it's, it's better to just call it and just do it at, at one point in time. And you're really then, I suppose, relying on the market getting the market conditions right rather than trying to uh, rely on timing. Yeah. One of the great things about um, iron condors I was just going to add is, is that the market can't be in two places at the same time. Exactly. 
but I can burn you at both ends, and it's <laughs> it's, I think it's happened. To, <laughs> it's probably happened to most of us, and that's it's not an enjoyable feeling, but it, it certainly does happen. Uh, it is Brad some interesting um, number crunching on that in the past, and um, you know, kind of how badly can a half a standard deviation R and Condor thirty delta on the solid legs go? And uh, yeah, it, it's interesting how often it'll go. I mean, it, it's not often, but it goes from sort of down one standard deviation all the way up, and so it burns you on the on the downside and then the upside, which you're talking about. Um, and in many cases, it just comes right back to the mean, and, and you're fine. So, yeah, give yourself 45 days, and you'll be fine. Um, and uh, as per well, my... That's, that's probably also... We, we spoke about iron condors last week, and um, the, the differences in the, the width, um, in the, you know, is in the range in, this, in the example we went through tonight. And, and an important point to note there was Nathan was talking about um, when he closed out of positions where we won't we don't talk about that so much with our style of iron condors because we go a lot tighter on the range. So um, we expect it to go outside um, and come back in and, and bounce around and do things like that. Um, so it was interesting to hear uh, the trade management quite different, same strategy. Uh, different setup, trade management change changes with that. So I think those rules that Nathan went through tonight are really good. And and we know a lot of people trade that style or similar sort of style uh, to Nathan with some good success. So Mark just noticed, <laughs> made a comment uh, who quite often contributes his trades. I was not surprised to see your comment. He said, uh, Nathan is my man. That's exactly, that's how I trade. So, um, uh all right, Brad is asking if trading 20 to 30K trades uh, in the examples indicated today is any problem with liquidity and placing these size trades easily. Uh, might I try you first, Nathan? Yeah, no, it's, it's not at all. Um, with XJO, I've found if you, um, uh, it's only when you start trading about three or 400 contracts that you won't get filled straight away, but generally... If you're only trading 100 contracts, 200, you'll um, you'll get filled pretty quickly by the market makers. Yep. Greg, from your side, look, um, the answer is generally no, but there are periods where um, market makers within individual stocks, and um, depending on what stock you're talking about, sometimes there's only one market one one market maker, and if they're not interested in doing the trade, well, you've got no luck, irrespective of what size you're going to do. So um, generally, in, personally, I've never really had a problem um, with uh, sizes, um, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to pay a little bit more of a, a premium than what the fair market value is just to get set. But again, you know, that's reflective of it being a high conviction trade. And now probably following on with that, just to, to add to the next point would, would be how often you know, then would you do these types of trades and high conviction trades? Look, you know, it depends on top of the market environment that you're in. We're currently in a period where, and we have been where markets have been sort of recovering quite strongly and there's been an enormous amount of opportunity, so there's been lots. Um, but in a general sort of, you know, let's call it an ordinary, normal 12-month period, you might put this trade on five or six times, seven times in the year. Mark was asking uh, Greg if you use the Shortman website. I don't know if that means uh, 
Yeah, yeah, look, um, the shortman um, gives a uh, good indication of uh, what the short positions are in individual stocks. Um, I know other people who do use it, um, and sometimes when I'm just trying to back up um, some short uh, position data, which I typically get through Iris, um, if that's um, in, if I'm questioning that, I might sometimes uh, see if it uh, matches what uh, the shortman does have, but no, I don't tend to use it that often. Yeah. That data um, typically on IRS should come straight from uh, ASX via the ASIC short selling report, so you'd think that the IRS data would be correct more often than not. Um, but anyway. Yeah, but sometimes they're like, yeah, it's IRS. <laughs> I can't <laughs> as a long-term user. <laughs> Can we can we get a quote from you, Ivan? I've been reading your quotes today. No. Yeah. No. Look, let's 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 not get any more misquoted comments about the uh, the ASX and other things, especially when it's uh, completely unrelated to what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Yeah. Everyone's uh, down from reading the AFR today. <laughs> Yeah, nice quote there for you in the AFR, Ivan. But uh, anyway, Josh has asked, can you do the opposite of the trade that you put forward, um, uh, Greg? And the answer is? The answer, the answer is certainly yes. Obviously, you just do everything in, in reverse. I, um, I think in the slide, it might have one line there that, uh, that you can do that, obviously, in reverse. To be truly honest, um, I can't think of any time that I have done it in reverse, actually. Um, generally, because most of my either high conviction ideas um, generally haven't had options available on the short side, and generally in markets where I have high conviction bearish ideas, I typically use the index um, uh, to, to, to short. So, But you can easily do that, uh, the same trade on the index, um, certainly. Um. Graham's asked, um, topic of risk, can you set an automatic stop loss on platform? Uh, Graham, not for trading uh, options, exchange trader options, you cannot set stop loss. Um, you probably wouldn't you want to. Work, but you can't set a stop loss. Sorry, Nathan, were you going to say? I was saying you probably wouldn't want to because, as I mentioned before, like the reason why I had that uh, sort of one to two times is because the um, – yeah, obviously, depending how close to the money you are, the fluctuations in the uh, pricing can be yeah can be sort of um, can be massive. So you can just get one movement, and all of a sudden you'd just be wiped out. And also, you'd give opportunities for market makers to uh, be watching that and potentially try to push things in favour of them to stop you out, which is quite common practice in um, in futures. Yeah. Um. One of the other things as well, just on stop losses for options, I mean, the stop loss of the option is the limited loss that you can take on an options position. So you inherently already have a, a stop loss built in. So, But one of the benefits of the option is versus trading, say, an index or a stock is, is that if you're trading, say, index futures and you have a stop loss, you get stopped out. That's the end of your trade. Whereas with your option, it can go down to being worthless but if you've still got time and the market turns around, you can still make money. So the benefit of the option is is that you can be stopped out theoretically by it being worth, worthless, but 
still have the benefit of time to actually maybe have your trade come good. So when so automatically when you're trying to set a stop loss for an option, it should be at that value of zero. So just trade less inside then. Yep. Um, now, Peter's asked the question. I'm going to give the general advice. This is a general comment. doesn't take your circumstances into consideration. But uh, having said all of that, uh, Greg, can you give another couple of stocks, this is from Peter, to keep an eye on that may present an opportunity in the coming months that lend themselves okay. to your strategy? Yep, sure. I mean, look, one of the key things with this strategy is always having tailwinds. You want tailwinds behind you. So we spoke about Qantas. Now, probably not of the same, um, let's say, uh, the same sort of defensiveness in its business model as Qantas, but Sydney Airports is another one that's been building a base and has been trading in somewhat similar fashion to, um, to Qantas in terms of it reacting to the same sort of news. But of course, without international uh, travel, it's probably one that um, will suffer a little bit more. But, you know, again, one worth, you know, potentially considering um, off that same thematic. The thematic is also, I'll just close my window here. Um, sorry. And, uh, you know, again, off that same thematic of the economy opening, you can have the um, uh, some of the property trusts, like the GPTs and so forth, and Mervac have been a couple that I've been looking at um, as well. The other thematic as well, which we just got recent news of and we saw um, an immediate reaction from the sector, has been with the relaxing of the, um, the lending laws for the banks. And we've seen that that uh, has lifted the mortgage providers and the banks uh, and the banks as well. So, you know, I've, I, know, I probably wouldn't enter the trade here, but certainly on any weakness, the changing of these laws that have been around in terms of responsible lending that came in because of the GFC have now been relaxed, that's a bit of a tailwind and the banks have been hit quite hard. A lot of them are obviously pricing in again, you know, stimulus uh, and, and some of the support for the economy sort of slowly dissipating over the course of the next sort of three to sort of six months and, you know, question marks over what effect that will have, but how much of that is priced in? Um, but again, they're sort of, you know, some of those tailwinds that are probably going to last longer than just a few weeks or even just a couple of months. So there are a couple of other, other ones that um, are certainly on my radar, at least. Beautiful. Thank you, Greg. All right. Well, we've been going for an hour and 20, so I'll invite anyone that's got any further questions to put them in. Um, if, you're, if you would like to get a trial of our platform, we're going to go in and backtest any of the trades you've learned tonight, um, then uh, by all means type in yes uh, and we'll set you up for a 30-day trial on the implied volatility platform. Um, the Next week we've got Graham O'Brien from the ASX coming to talk about uh, what he's observing in the market at the moment, the most uh, common trades uh, and a range of other stats that I think will be very valuable you know, to all options traders but some, also some good education and an update on what's going on at Exchange at the moment. Um, and that will be the, the event, I guess, that coincides with the starting of the ASX Options trading game. The week after that, we've got a market maker who I will announce next week the name of the market maker because I'm just waiting for them to get their final compliance sign off on joining us. But they've, they've assured us they'll be fine. If it's not them, it'll be another one. 
Um, and uh, and then after that, we're going to get a group conversation, and I'll, I'll check Nathan and Greg's availability for that uh, group chat on market as well and see if they would like to come back and join us. But um, uh, I, I'll answer this question that came through. Do Greg and Nathan only trade the ASX? No, they, they, they do not. They trade other stuff. Um, uh, a lot of other stuff, and, and we can reference that in another session. Uh, but if you go back onto our website, both Nathan and Greg have presented a, those that can do those that can do sessions that we run, and so you, you can get a detailed webcast on both Greg and Nathan, their trading styles, their view on the market, psychology, uh, what makes them tick, and so forth as traders. And I think you both both those sessions very very popular and very, very insightful. So that if you're interested in learning more about these guys, that would be definitely a good way to go about doing that. Um, but, um, guys, thank you very much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Great presentations. On behalf of everyone here today, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing uh, that with us. Um, no other questions coming through. So, uh, look, guys, hey, thank Patrick, you very much. Just quickly, just just, just to be that guy, uh, one quick question. Can you show how to, uh, where to find the, implied vol the open interest in the implied volatility platform? I, I can, because, but my computer shut down. So I'm actually oh, okay. on, like, the, I tried to do that before, um, but then the, the computer said no, basically. Okay. Um, well, then, yeah, it's too much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but for Graham, uh, just ask Tim Gildersdale who's, and and Nathan as well. Tim can show you tomorrow. I can yeah. show you. Um, but yeah, yeah it's but, an option. Yeah. So go go to the, the option. Strategy builder, strategy builder. Create a new tab. Type in the code. It brings up the options chain or in the portfolio. There's a quick what if button. Oh, I know where it Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to kill your other platform now? You're going to call them up tomorrow and say, "Hey, we don't need you anymore." Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And and you, Greg, you you also should be using Tradefloor because uh, you know your company subscribed. Your company was my first client, so uh, you know for for a serious options trader, you, you got to start checking it out. Yeah, I look to be truly honest. Um, I know I do it, and I know everybody uh, on the on the floor does uh, does use Tradefloor, but I'm nowhere near as active in options as uh, as Nathan is, and uh, some of the other uh, experts in. Uh, in the field, so uh, like I said, I'm more of a position trader. So I, uh, I'd like to try and pick direction as as much as I can. It's a weak excuse, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of them. My, my wife tells me all the time that's not a good enough excuse. Now my kids are at me saying the same thing. So. <laughs> I know the ceiling. Uh, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Stay right, right back in. Cheers. Yes, thank, thank you. you.